Grammarly, an intelligent writing app. Download Grammarly's browser extension and create a free Grammarly account at www.getgrammarly.com forward slash holy backboard. Let's go! All right, everybody, welcome to the 192nd edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man, Sage, back in Beaverton, Oregon, after a nice, successful weekend at the uh, Jacksonville uh, Chinese Chinese New Year Festival. Jacksonville, Um, Oregon. Jacksonville, Oregon. Um, At one time, there was 40% of the... Jacksonville populace was that was Chinese because of the gold rush. So, you know, there 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 is a part of or of Southern Oregon with a huge Chinese you know history. And uh, when I was at the festival, I learned that Chinese people helped with the railroads, obviously, but with fishery, canning, farming, and uh, well, series listening to me talk about Chinese stuff. Um, and, and, uh, cattle, like they, they helped with like the, 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 they were cowboys in Oregon in the 1880s. So, you know, we both went to school in Oregon and I don't think we learned about the Chinese impact in Oregon. And it's not just like a footnote. It's, it's Oregon history. You know, the Chinese helped Oregon's build, build what Oregon is today. And we never heard of it. And, you know, going back to where my parent, my mom's from. She, um, most people that went to Oregon were from four distinct districts of China, and I happen to be from one of those four districts. So it's cool to see how people, my great great grandfather or grandmother, might have known to help Oregon's history, and we happen to be here now, and it's it's really cool to see. And my last thing about uh, Chinese stuff before we get into basketball is, you know, there is that virus that's going around, but it's in China, so. I've seen a lot of anti-Chinese things going on in the internet and in like my family in San Francisco has to deal with it. It's in China. So treat, treat the peop- American Chinese people with the way that you would like to be treated because it's not their fault that this virus is happening. It's a lot of, a lot of things have led to this virus being out. So Treat everybody the way you'd like to be treated. And let's talk about these hoops. Well, also, one quick thing. People tend to freak out over something new, whether it was the bird flu or SARS or Y2K. Whatever it is, people give it a a brand new name and it's, it's the new thing on the news. So people just tend to freak out. The regular flu still is more prevalent than this virus. Um, it doesn't mean that it's not potent. Just take the same, just take the same precautions that you would as if you were worried about the flu. If you touch something in public, wash your hands. Don't touch your eyes. I mean, sneeze into your, into your elbow. Uh, it's, it's not rocket science folks. So let's chill with the, the fear mongering and just enjoy life and, and be safe. And like Sage said, golden rule. Treat others as you would like to be treated. And I really feel like the world would be such a different place 
if we would all show more empathy and put ourselves into somebody else's shoes rather than always putting our needs first. Uh, that That's your your daily, weekly Holy Backboard rant for, for the good of the world. But as you mentioned, Sage, let's get into the week that was, the week that will be for your Portland Trailblazers. It was a, a successful, if not irritating, week of basketball for the Blazers. Portland goes 2-2 two and two in what continues to be the most difficult stretch of the season. They kick things off with a pretty, I would say, unenthusiastic performance in Denver, losing by 28 points, 127 to 99. Blazers never really had a chance against the Denver Nuggets. Jokic had its way, and this was coming off of Portland winning four straight games. So after I'm seeing this result, I'm like, oh, you know, here we go again. Are the Blazers going to start stubbing their toe and not being able to catch back up to 500? But they bounced back with an impressive 125-117 victory over the San Antonio Spurs. Hassan Whiteside was remarkable in that game of defending LaMarcus Aldridge. And then what might be the most ridiculous non-call in NBA history, the Blazers, air quotes, lose to the Jazz 114-117 and follow that up with a resilient victory with, again, only eight players against the Miami Heat 115-109. Dame was brilliant yet again. Gary Trent Jr. is really vying for a rotation spot when everyone is healthy. And the team just had a balanced attack. Sage, they are 2-2 two and two on the week. And overall, 25-29, and 29, still two and a half games behind the Memphis Grizzlies for that eighth seed to go, or for that eighth seed. And I believe they still have, I'm doing some quick math right now in my head, 36 games left. 36 games left. They are at 25 and 29. Sage, what stood out to you over this week uh, of Blazer basketball? I've really only seen that turnaround LaMarcus Aldridge J get blocked by two people now. Anthony Davis when he was on the Pelicans and Hassan Whiteside now. The fact that we have a guy that can frustrate, you know, a future Hall of Famer's number one move and to make it super ineffective is so cool to see. Like, that, th- not many people are built to defend that because of Marcus's height, his athleticism, the way that he launches the ball. It is incredible to see. Sons looked great. Uh, Gary Trent Jr. has been such a great surprise. And, you know, earlier this, this year, I said we'd probably trade him because there isn't that room for him, but he's forcing himself to be part of that future rotation. Um, I was talking with my older brother about this and, you know, I was thinking like, you know, if he becomes West, that ceiling, I'm thinking that he could be this era's Raja Bell with how gritty he plays uh, on defense, his willingness to sacrifice his body. And then he, he, he can shoot and score. Like I could see him being 2020's Raja Bell. What do you think of that comparison? Before I answer that question, I, like I said, I was doing math on the fly and it's been a long day for you, boy. We don't have 36 games left. We have 28 games left. So that is a, a, a major difference. But before we go back into the, the home and away and how it all lays out for the Blazers moving forward and vying for that eighth seed, 
let's dig back in to Gary Trent Jr. because he has been a real surprise. And it's not necessarily a surprise in my eyes. And I don't want to say that I've been championing Gary Trent Jr. as the next great 3 and D player. But I do feel happy that when a lot of people on the forums were bitching and moaning about Gary Trent Jr. as a rookie or in summer league that he was this, you know, chucker who didn't play any defense and really had no awareness of. Bro, of the, I saw that shit a week ago on Twitter. <laughs> it's it's ridiculous because when you watched him play, he busts his ass on defense. Defense doesn't just come naturally. Like you have to study film. You have to play enough repetitions to get a feel for the game speed, learn players' tendencies, learn your team's tendencies and your team's defensive schemes. And on the offensive side of the ball, when you're in summer league and you're the number two option, yeah, you're going to put up 20 shots a night. When you get into a game when you're forced to play 48 minutes, which he was in the season finale last year against the Kings, yes, you're going to get a lot of opportunity. What I have always believed in Gary Trent Jr. is he was drafted out of Duke as a sharpshooter. He has great form on his shots. When you play with a superstar like Damian Lillard, who is commanding the attention of every single defender on that court, his ability to hit from deep and penetrate, you are going to get open looks. You are going to basically get spoon-fed. And Gary Trent is taking absolute advantage of the shots that are being set up by Dame's really just complete. He, he He's just a, a maestro out there. He is the engineer of the offense and he knows exactly when and where to lob it to Hassan, kick it out to Gary Trent, take a playoff and let CJ handle the point. He just has a complete control about him that we haven't seen from Dame in a long time. And Gary Trent Jr. is a major beneficiary of it. And and that is not a knock on Gary. When you come into the league and you are not a guy like Dame or Anthony Davis or LeBron James and you're asked to be that one option right off the bat, you need to start by getting your feet wet, taking baby steps. You know, you have to crawl before you walk. And that's really what G. Trent is doing right now. He is filling a role that the Blazers need, and that is one of a knockdown shooter on the perimeter. So defenses are really going to have to start to pay attention. Okay, am I going to double off Gary, or am I going to go help Dame, go help on Dame? And right now it's kind of a pick your poison for the defense because you've got Trent who is hitting at an absolute just amazing clip. He's shooting 42.3% from downtown this entire year. And that's an almost three and a half. That's over three and a half attempts per game. And what I love about Trent is he's not afraid of the big moment. We saw him hit a lot of big threes against both San Antonio. I mean, he finished that game. Uh, CJ went out with his fifth foul. But Gary did not relinquish that spot. Terry Stotts could have easily said, okay, CJ, you're my guy. You've been my guy. I'm going to let you play the last five minutes with five fouls. But Gary Trent was so spectacular and so clutch that Terry had no other option but to leave Gary in the game. And that was a big reason the Blazers were able to outscore the Spurs 39-25. to I mean, we look at Gary Trent. He plays 24 minutes 
Six of seven from downtown, 18 points. I mean, the, the usage rate is extremely low. He doesn't need a lot of dribbles. He is very efficient. And what I love about him is, let's take the Miami game. He goes in and picks up three fouls and probably three minutes of action. And you're like, okay, this might be a rough night for, for Gary. Uh, it was you know, a great run. He's going to bounce back the next night. He was able to bounce back that same game, and he provided Portland with all of our bench points. He had 22 points on 8 of 11 shooting, including 5 of 7 from downtown. Uh, four steals. So that that's where you get the offense and the defense. Like He has got a lot of dog in him, and you said he reminds you of a little bit. Who was the player you said? Raja Bell. I want to bring it a little bit more modern. And say that he reminds me of a mix between a Wesley Matthews and a young Clay Thompson. And before people start rolling their eyes, I said a young Clay Thompson. And he's not there yet. He's only done this for a stretch of ball. But from what I've seen in this stretch, the heart and tenacity on defense reminds me a lot of Wes. And especially him hitting those open threes. But he's got to me a better stroke. Than Wes did. And that's where the the Clay Thompson kind of comparisons are starting to come, basically come to my eyes because Clay is one of the most lethal shooters on the planet. A a guy who I think scores 60 points on 11 dribbles and can just explode. Gary, when he gets the ball, it doesn't matter if he's top of the key, corner, wing, you just have a feeling it's going to go in. And, And he's been trending upwards, I would say, for the past two months. This hasn't just been a flash in the pan. He's progressively getting better, and his play is really turning. He's got to be turning some heads internally, but also giving Portland another option for that 2021 season. Sage, we've always talked about 2021 being the year for the Blazers. He is now in that conversation for rotation minutes, and then when you look at the the one, two, and three spots on the court, you've got Dame, CJ, Rodney, Trevor, Anthony, Nasir, Gary. I mean, it's getting crowded, and that is a good problem to have. There was a game. It was the Houston game where we trapped Harden really hard. and It, it was when Russ got his triple-double. That, that happened to be a few weeks ago, right? That, that, was, was, that was the in-Houston game. I believe that was January 14th. So... I guess within the month that you said, right? The when he cut off Eric Gordon like three continuous plays, that didn't that defensive didn't remind me of a Clay or a a Wes. That the way that he cut off angles, I'm only comparing him to that one ability. That reminded me of Drew Holiday. Because both he and Drew can cut off the ball handler's angles really well and frustrate it. So what what Eric tried to do was blow by him, but uh, Gary beat him to the spot. Eric had to go back, and then Gary beat him to the spot again, and then he either passed it or took a really shitty shot like Eric Gordon does. Like The way that he was able to anticipate where the offensive player wanted to dribble the ball to and then cut him off reminds me of Drew Holiday, a young Drew Holiday. Clay Thompson really was a shitty defender to start. Gary is a pretty damn good defender in his second year, which, yo, we've seen elite defenders take time. And 
Blazer's scheme is something you had to learn, and he didn't have that much playing time. I expected him to be able to shoot, because I, re- I remember his first year, we were questioning, is he a shooter or not? I did not expect him to be able to play the defense that he is playing today. Like, he he's he's looking like someone that is going to be able to contribute at a high level for a long time because of his effort defensively and the fact that he is a shooter. Like we have a, we have a little pit bull at the two, three swing position. And he's, he's caught, he's caught the attention of Dame too. You've said that we want need dogs. Gary Trent is a a dog. He's cut from the same cloth as Dame. Well, and he has the, the grittiness of his father. You know, Dame was asked about Gary Trent after last night's performance against Miami. And he just said he hasn't been so, I mean, in so many words, like he is so happy. He hasn't been more happy about a young player's development than than Gary Trent. Like you just, you just love to see it. And you can tell he's put in the work in the off season and even in season. And when you catch the eye of arguably the league's best player at the moment, you're doing something right. And Dame pays attention to all of the details. And if you, if you can get some praise from Dame, like that's only got to fuel him more to, to get better and to become more efficient. But I mean, I'm just looking at his advanced metrics and he had a 15% usage rate that, that would be, I mean, that's just so, that's just so low, Sage. Only Trevor Ariza had a smaller usage rate, and that was by, by, by a percentage. And, you know, his offensive rating was, was through the roof. I mean, just, again, you can't expect him to shoot five of seven from three every night, but who knows? If he's going to keep getting those looks, I mean, that's, he is just such a really good fit with, with Damian Lillard. And I think this is what people have been kind of wanting to see. Like, what type of guard is the the, the, the best secondary complementary fit to uh, a ball-dominant point guard like Damian Lillard? I feel like you're hanging out with me a lot. You brought out, you brought out usage rate before I did. I'm flexing like Hassan on this one. Ah, <laughs> oh, man, the sage effect. It, it is a real thing sometimes, my it's guy. It's a wonderful thing. But, Sage, speaking of, of Gary Trent, and again, I don't want to get too unrealistic or get get too high with my expectations because Blazer fans have had their hearts crushed in the past. Uh, let's not forget Alan Crabb, who shot upwards of 40%. Uh, he shot 44% that, that first year after we gave him that $16 million a year contract. Uh, we had to limited shots, though. We had to eventually... Uh, he had eight, eight field goal attempts per game. Uh, three. He had... J- Three and a half threes, just as many as Gary did. So almost four. So we had three and a half the year up to prior to being an unrestricted or restricted free agent in, in 2016. Brooklyn makes the, the offer sheet. We match it. Uh, as everyone knows, the following year, he upped his three point attempts from 3.5 to 3.8. And he even went 5% higher. He was shooting 39% in 2016 and bumped it up to 44%. In 2017. Now, I will say I do like the shots that Trent is getting better, and I do think he has higher defensive potential. But 
I, I still want to just, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but this is why I want to continue to see more for, from Trent because we have seen players play above their heads for certain stretches. Hell, Jake Lehman did it for a stretch last season as well, and then he's not really getting any run for the Minnesota Timberwolves. So long story short, let's enjoy what we're seeing, but let's temper expectations and just hope he continues to progress. Dribble pass shoot is Gary Trent's performance more sustainable than a Jake Lehman or Alan Crabb? Definitely more sustainable than Jake Lehman. I thought Jake was most efficient when playing with a ball handler who would look for him. Like he needed to be set up in terms of those lob passes or those backdoor cuts. And Trent really just needs to just to be open. Like Dame, Dame will find him. The ball will get swung to him. So in a way, Trent doesn't need as much. And he's a better defender. So he can yes, stay on the he, court. He's a much better defender. Um, Alan Crabb was that dude for the Blazers. I, I I think Blazer fans don't remember how well he did play for us. They just remember the contract that he was offered and that we matched, and that's kind of jading their their outlook of how he actually performed in, in a Blazer uniform. But I want to say I'm more excited about Trent. One because he is younger. I believe Alan Crabb came into the league when he was uh, 21 years old. Uh, Trent's 20 years old right now. Alan Crabb really didn't start to pick up his play. I mean, three years into the league. So, I mean, you're looking at a couple of years age difference. Trent's doing this at such a younger age that it gives you a lot of hope. Um, And I would also say Damian Lillard's a better player now than he was four years ago. He's just getting... G Trent, so many good looks. And, uh, you know, I, I'm just going to continue to watch Trent, but um, I'll tentatively shoot that he that I'm more excited than than I was for for Alan Crabb. I think it's definitely more sustainable just because we the we, defense. Yeah, we built the narrative that Alan Crabb was a good defender because he had all the good defender tools. In reality, he was one of the biggest thieves in the league at that time. We could, I mean, I broke down a play where he, Gary Trent played good defense. Like there, there's for the eye test and the the advanced stats people to look at to say Trent's a dog and he plays good defense. So I would shoot that, and I would actually shoot that pretty confidently. That I I I think right now it's Gary Trent's performances are more sustainable uh, than either of those two players that we listed. Yeah, Alan Crabb was 23 years old during that contract year. Gary Trent right now is 21. So Both second-round uh, picks, too. Both second-round picks. So, again, another Neil Olshay special. I know everyone likes to look at the negatives that, that Neil does for this roster, but uh, at, he drafts at, a cer- well. at a certain point in time, you have to give him his credit. He drafts fantastic, and he finds a lot of gems with, with limited resources. Uh, that draft could go down as one of the best in Blazer history, getting Simons and Trent with very, very minimal uh, tools at at his disposal. But Sage, go ahead. I think that staying patient as a drafter is a really good tool that he has because he could have he could have traded up for Nasir, you know, at fourteen or something. He waited. He, he that gut of like he's gonna fall to me. Like that patience as a drafter is uh, is underrated and he's shown that 
he'll 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 trade for his guy, but he'll also wait if there's a good chance that this person's going to be there at his given pick. Absolutely, and I would say I have a question for you. I hopefully have an answer. I hope you do as well. Is the Blazer backcourt? You know, we talked about how deep this team could be when healthy next year. Is it too deep, Sage? Are are we entering? I know we have a better overall player than the Nuggets do in, in Dame when comparing him to Jokic, but are we now entering that era where we may need to act? Like, where's our you know consolidation trade? Because I mean, we we look and you've got Dame, Ant, CJ, Gary Trent at the small forward, Ariza, Hood, Little. You bring back Mello. You get Zach Collins back. Those are your fours. You sign Hassan, and you got Nurk coming back. And that's not even considering a top 20 draft pick and mid-level exception money. So that's 10 deep, right? 10 and legitimate that's NBA. That's 11 deep, Ele- God plus damn, a first-round pick, plus a mid-level exception. That's 13 guys right there. So right now, our depth is crazy, just like the Nuggets. Like, they traded Malik Beasley and uh, Herman Gomez because they didn't need him. I, I think we might be a year away from it because Gary has another year, right? The, those draft pick, we have another uh, a year for Anthony and Gary, I believe. Dustin's checking it out for me. So according to Hoops Hype, the players that we have um, options for, Rodney Hood has a player option for $6 million. Most expect him to take that. Mario Hazonia has a 1.9, basically a $2 million player exception. Anthony Simons, we have – he is cost-controlled for, for quite a while. Uh, next so year when for, he becomes it is when we have a Next year for 2.2, uh, then we can make the qualifying offer – or we have a team option, excuse me, in 2022, so two years down the road. And then if we don't – that's basically the, the next year. So 2023 is when we'd have to make a decision on Anthony and looking at Gary Trent Jr. Uh, we have him for one more year at 1.6, and then he becomes a, an unrestricted free agent. So, yeah, so that's why it is uh, the Blazers are going to have an interesting decision. But I, have a, I, I think we're signing him next year to like a three year or something or, or as much as we can. Again, yeah, I, I know. And I, I would like to as well. But that's where the Alan Crabb comparison came to mind as well, because the Blazers, with how much they are paying Damon CJ, which in 2021, they are paying them 60 million dollars combined they are going to have to start to moneyball a, a little bit. And there are going to be some tough decisions where are you going to keep a guy like Gary Trent? Are you going to maybe have to let, you know, what are you going to do with Rodney Hood uh, the next year? And by everything I'm talking about is 2021. Yusuf Nurkic is only going to have one more year left on his deal. I mean, what – Zach Collins is going to be up for for an extension. So the Blazers are really going to have to be smart with who they want to retain and who they feel like they can let go and replace in the draft. So, But at the same time, it's a pretty good op- problem to have. It I would is rather very, have... Like, oh, absolutely. If we're looking you, at the Hornets, for example, it's like, all right, we got two good guys. Or two and a half good guys, if you want to count Malik Beasley. Or not Malik Beasley, uh, Malik Monk, excuse me. So at least we have a, a diverse character of guards and wings that are good. 
So it's a, it's a good problem to have. I I think this year is going to like it's not as big of a problem as it will be once all of these guys' contracts are up for secondary contracts. So the reason I ask about the consolidation trade is because, you know, just browsing the internet, go to real GM, the wiretap says opposing GMs are anticipating offers on Joel Embiid. Obviously, the 76ers, it has not gone well for them this year. They have a high payroll. They have a lot of max money on the books. And it has been documented that Simmons and Embiid do not really get along. They're, they're that like well the worst the two on-court people to be with, too, because... All right, let's pretend you and I are the GMs of... We're Elton Brand. What would you want to surround Joel Embiid with? You need a guy who's going to just be able to shoot the basketball. You want shooters. What does Ben Simmons not do? (laughs) Like, look at Hakeem. They won a title with Hakeem and four shooters surrounding him. Mm -hmm. Ben Simmons, maybe in the 90s, he'd be able to get away with not shooting, but you have to be able to be a threat. That's just the bottom line. You have to be able to shoot the basketball in today's NBA with the spacing. Otherwise, teams are just too long. They're too intelligent. They're they're too athletic. They're going to make life a living hell, and they are going to basically make the dude who can't shoot beat you. I mean, that's just the bottom line. And so, so that's where that, that question came from because all of a sudden, Joel Embiid might become available on the market. I think Neil O'Shea is going to need to be ready. He has to be ready to pounce. And I think he has to be ready to make, to take a risk. And by taking a risk, I mean surrounding Dame with elite talent and talent that fits like a glove. And I would put, and I'm not saying we are going to or we should, but I would I would put Embiid in that elite talent category. And this is why I really think players like Rodney Hood and Gary Trent Jr. and Trevor Reza are long-term fits. Maybe not Reza due to age, but I, I believe he will be here next year is because they play defense, they don't need the ball in their hands on offense, and in the case of Rodney Hood, you can throw the ball into him. He can create his own shot off of a mismatch. So that's just something to think about, and this isn't saying the Blazers are definitely going to trade CJ or they need to trade CJ, but I would say the way that Gary Trent is performing, the way that Rodney Hood performed prior to injury, CJ... He he probably doesn't and probably doesn't need to be, you know, seeing eyes over his shoulder or, you know, the headlights in the rear view because of how accomplished he is and how incredible he was in that postseason in 2019. But I do think it is a good thing for him to kind of see a little bit more competition because for so long he's had that two guard spot on lock. Um, you know, Terry Stotts isn't just going to play a guy because of how much he makes. Uh, if you're playing well you're going to get in the game. And uh, I would say that the Blazers need more from CJ McCollum right now. And I will preface that by saying, I do think CJ is a really good postseason fit because of able, he's able to create his own shot. And that's just so invaluable come postseason time. Yes. That's why, you know, it's, 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 it's one thing to talk about regular season and say, Oh, Gary Trent, Rodney hood, they are the future. But when it comes down to brass tacks, CJ McCollum got it done and he got it done because he can go one-on-one. He can create his own shot. Uh, his percentages may not be as what we want this year or as average where it was in, in prior years, but he's still a guy that, you know, 
I would be a little concerned if Damian Lillard was our only shot creator uh, come postseason time. So that's where CJ's value lies to me. CJ playing like 90% of his minutes with Melo negatively affects him because Melo requests the ball so much that it does take away from CJ's opportunities. That's a good point and one I really didn't think of. I mean, if let's just say CJ played with Ant, Gary Trent, Ariza, Hassan, I bet you CJ's numbers would uh, positively regress to the point where we're like, oh yeah, CJ is really good. But it just happens to be the rotations right now that Damon and Hassan are the two that play most of their minutes together and CJ and Mello play most of their minutes together. But I I, I think CJ is... CJ is our guy for this year, without a doubt. And I, I think that his numbers are negatively affected by who he plays with. And if you are playing with a guy that's a Hall of Famer that you absolutely respect with all your heart... And when he puts his hand up asking for the ball, CJ delivers. Yeah, CJ's numbers are going to be negatively impacted. And especially with Gary Trent Jr. and, you know, Nasir Little needing his touches. You know, CJ has to do a good job of deferring from his own personal stats to help these other guys that don't that need the ball in their hands, but aren't taking the ball up. Do you think this is CJ's peak or of the last couple of years, like this is it as good as it gets from CJ. I'm just looking at his, his career averages and it seems like he hovers between 21 and 23 points over the last four years, shoots between 44 and 48% from the field, you know, 38 to 42% from three. He's always going to get you about three to four assists per game, three to four rebounds per game is, and that, that those are great numbers. But if we're looking at CJ, who is going to be 29 years old this year in, in September, is is this what we should expect from CJ? Or does he have another gear like Dame always seems to find year over year? I think he can get his buckets against anyone offensively, right? We can assume that he's he can get 30 whenever he wants, right? I think what he needs to focus on and is getting those peripherals, those rebounds and those assists. He averages those assists. There's plenty of games where he gets zero and zero. Like, if he won't, in my opinion, and CJ, you're a professional, you don't need me to tell you this. To get to that next level, he needs to get those peripheral stats. Because right now, I think he's very scoring dependent for his production on court. So, in the playoffs, we saw him get 10, 11 rebounds, 7 assists on a regular. And that's when we were like, dude, CJ's that guy. Right now, he isn't getting those peripheral stats. And right now, he's a scoring-dependent guard. I think when the chips are down, he's going to rebound and assist well. I don't think that right now he needs to do that because Dame's going all world and he doesn't get the he doesn't get the usage that he needs to. Uh, it, it's always going to be about for CJ and his production is those, those rebounds, steals, assists, those stats. So... I, I think we see that next gear during the playoff times when he gets seven and seven. Yeah. I mean, looking at the past two playoffs, like he was fantastic. I mean, he bumped his averages up. He averaged about 25 points the previous two playoffs. And he can do that whenever he wants. Let's be real. Yeah. He, he, like he, he said, he, he yeah, bumped he played, it up. He had, he bumped it up to five boards per game last year, uh, including, I think he had nine in that game seven. Yeah. Like, Obviously he had that, that incredible chase down block. And, you know, shooting 40, 42% from three. CJ is a playoff performer. And 
maybe the Blazers don't need him to be a 25 point per game score in the regular season. I would much rather take 19 and more rebounds than assists. If it, if it was just Sage's wonderful peripheral team, I would want more rebounds and assists because I know CJ can drop 30 whenever the fuck he wants. But when he drops five boards and six assists, we're really, really tough to beat. Yeah. And I would add on to that and just say I would be okay even if his field goal attempts went, went down. He is at a career high 18.9 field goal attempts per game right now. So I would be fine with those dropping dropping. Do you a think bit. that's on CJ taking more shots or the fact that Nurk's not here? That's another good point. It could be Nurk uh, not being here. But CJ always, I mean, he's he's going to get eight. So back to 15-16, really the year he broke out and won most improved player. He has never shot fewer than 17.8 field goal attempts a night. So he he's always going to get his shots. I would just say I would I would like it be down closer to 15-16. And because Nurk, Nurk's going to need to get fed now too. Yeah, I mean, I mean Nurk body had... Nurk had a higher usage rate than CJ last year. I would counter. I think Hassan needs more touches. He's he's efficient as hell down low. Mm-hmm. And then you've obviously got... But luckily, he is just down low. He's not taking possessions from the mid and high posts like Nurk does. No, but he still is effective when he gets the ball. Yeah, and he has a usage rate like in the 20s. Yeah, but then again, you also need and Mello. to get, get, your, get your shooters involved. Yeah, so that's why it's... It's a tough it's a tough it's a tough ask for both of our playmakers to they're scoring guards first. That they need to have the ball in their hands to feel comfortable. But you also need to Right now I would say Damian Lillard needs to continue to be aggressive on offense because when he doesn't look to score right now or is out of the game, the team completely falls apart. So I think this is when Dame is at his most le- most lethal is when he is aggressive because defenses really have to they they have to be on high alert as soon as he crosses half court and an aggressive Dame and that doesn't mean shooting it just means an aggressive playmaking Lillard just benefits everyone it puts so much stress and pressure on that defense that he can crack it with a three a drive to the hoop you know a lob to Hassan or a kick out. Uh, when he has the ball in his hands like that, you really need the ball in his hands. I know coming into the season, there was talk of playing him off the ball like the Warriors do with Curry. I don't know if we're ever going to get to that spot just because of we, we're not a great passing team. Our system isn't structured like Golden State's. But he is so good with the ball in his hands that when he's out there, I mean, that's just where you want him because he's just making the right play. He's so unselfish. But he is also so dangerous when he when he rises up and, and, and lets it fly. So um, it's just going to be an interesting scenario to watch unfold uh, over the course of this season, uh, possibly the playoffs and, and into next year, because there are a lot of mouths to feed and Portland may benefit from going all in on another superstar to, to pair with Dame just because. There is only one basketball. There are only 48 minutes of game action to go off of. Damian Lillard throughout the season has uh, had 15 drives to the basket per game. In the last 10, he's getting 19 to 19 average. So he's being more aggressive in driving to the hoop and driving to the hoop means that there's more chaos for the opposing defense. 
Do you think his, Dame's drives to the hoop is a big part of how well he's been playing in the last 10 games and the fact that he's shooting well? I would say it's a product yeah. of how well he's been playing because you look at – I think he's been playing well because he even talked about it. Um, the team was struggling. He wants to make the playoffs by hell or high water. He is the ultimate competitor. I think some would argue and say that he is our generation's Kobe Bryant when it comes to on-court mentality, competitiveness, just overall relentlessness. So when he flipped that switch and and realized that he needed to, to start to be more aggressive, that's when he started rising up from, from deeper. That's when defenses started to pay more attention to him, started to bring the double, started to bring it further out. And that's where he was able to kind of beat them off the dribble. And, you know, when you get the attention of the defense, you can't just, you know, all great scorers have multiple ways to beat a defender and they're setting them up like they're playing chess. So they have uh, a counter for, for your counter essentially. And so I think it's just his increased drives to the basket has just been a product of how aggressive he's been playing with, with this new mindset that I got to go out here. I got to carry this team. And he knows you're not going to win a game shooting 15 to 23s personally on a nightly basis. Some nights, yeah, that's going to work. But other nights, you got to get to the basket. You got to get fouls. You got to get your shooters open. The best way to get your shooters open is to drive to the hoop and kick it out. So again, I think it's just a product of how aggressive he has been in this current current streak. So throughout the year, he's at the 14th uh, most driving player. In the last 10, he's been the fifth. So that, I mean, that... That just shows drives per game are a great indicator of being aggressive because Russell Westbrook does it 25 fucking times. That's all he can do. But Dame doing it 20 times per game, it's like, yo, he he's about that bread trying to get either him points, Hassan points, or his shooters points. Like the fact that he's driving so frequently is, yo, that that and the that freakishly hot three point percentage, man. If he can keep up these drives per game. Whoo, boy, that's just going to cause so much havoc for the opposing defenses. Can we talk about the most infamous drive of this past week, Sage? Because we're pretty, yeah, we're pretty in, in depth in this podcast already, but it would be, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the play that happened on Friday night in Utah. The Blazers were down two, about nine seconds left. Dame goes to the cup, gets by Royce O'Neal, gets fouled, not called. Ball goes off the glass. Rudy Gobert clearly makes contact with it. And because the officials didn't think it was a goaltend and therefore didn't blow the play dead, weren't able to review it. Yes, I know Caleb Swanigan got a shot at a three-pointer to tie it up. That was the worst run fucking play ever, though. Let's... Fuck out of here. Melo took it up and didn't pass it. Like, no, no, let's not. I don't want, like, the, the Blazers should have never been in, in that position. So I don't think a lot of Blazer fans are saying that that cost us the win. That cost us a chance at a win. That that call, that non-call, essentially sealed, sealed any chance of a victory for the Blazers. NBA lets Rudy Gobert get away with fucking everything in the last 30 seconds of a game. Like, there's videos on the internet about Rudy fouling Brandon Ingram for a potential win, fouling Damian Lillard. Like, the NBA just lets him rough up guards and wings attacking the basket, 
and don't call shit. Like Rudy Gobert is gets away with everything. Miaf though is the Anthony one. Way Anthony Simmons Simon's getting hit on the Royce O'Neal trip pissed me off way more than the Dame Lillard one. Because do you think that's why Trevor Reza went so postal? Yes, I do. So yeah, I think I think the Anthony getting in uh, hit like that uh, caused Trevor Reza to react like that. I mean, it, it was like the next play, Ariza got upset about a questionable foul, but I think that it was legitimately the. Anthony got hurt and it looked bad with his head just like hitting the floor first. Like we just got back from picking my brother from the airport and I turned on the game and the first thing I saw was Anthony crossing him up, jumping and then hitting his head on the court. So I I, I think that is why the, that Ariza thing happened. And uh, it's tough because we have limited players, but at the same time, it's like when you, one of your teammates gets hurt like that, emotions run high and that game was a damn that felt like a playoff game with all the pushing and shoving it It, it's just fucking rudy gobert gets away with everything in those last seconds fuck the utah jazz fuck royce o'neill fuck rudy gobert and fuck donovan mitchell for trying to make himself feel more important and powerful than belittling uh gary trent jr gary trent jr put up better stats than you mr all-star so get your shit together i expect didn't mike have a better game yeah conley had a better game than him too right yeah i mean just donovan mitchell and rudy gobert are two of the most overrated players in the entire league and the utah jazz are going to get bounced in the first round again and they cashed in all their chips on conley so enjoy this victory we're going to kick your ass in portland April 2nd, and we're going to kick your ass next year as well. So going to leave it at that. And Sage, I think it's a great time to take a quick commercial break. And we're going to get into the next week's games, two, before the Blazers hit the road back home for the All-Star break. For you, the listeners of Holy Backboard, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com forward slash holybackboard. Again, that's getgrammarly.com forward slash holy backboard to download Grammarly for free. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Holy Backboard podcast. Dustin and Sage here. Sage, the Blazers went two and two on that week. Your boy correctly got all four games correct. Um, I wish I was wrong on the Utah game, but I guess technically it is a victory for the Jazz. Uh, you went three and one. You thought the Blazers would beat Denver in Denver. Unfortunately, that did not. Oh, that happen. was very wrong on that one. That so I am twenty nine and twenty five on the year. You are thirty two and twenty, still with a five game lead with twenty eight games to go. Uh, I don't think I'm going to catch you, uh, my friend, especially with just uh, two games this week. It is a back to back for our Blazers. Tuesday they have. The New Orleans Pelicans, and then Wednesday they play the Memphis Grizzlies in the first of three matchups this year, which could be an extremely critical game to determine who gets that eighth seed. 
Uh, Sage, tell us about the New Orleans Pelicans and how the roster is looking like with, I guess, almost a full month of, of Zion Williamson. So I, I think for the Pelicans, it, their big four, Drew, Brandon, Zion, and Lonzo, it's taking a little bit of time for them to have defined roles. Um it seems like Zoe and Zion play most of their minutes together and Drew and uh, Brandon play most of their minutes together. It's, it's, it's tough for, for people to play a certain role for most of the year. And then when, you know, the first overall pick comes back to have less of a role, I think Zoe gets a lot of his usage cut off uh, with a haircut. Drew and Brandon get a little bit and then Zion takes what everyone else had. Um, right now, Brandon and uh, Zion have are, have the Q tag for the game. So, if I had to guess, Brandon plays, Zion doesn't. But who really knows? Um, but it, it's all a, an adjustment period. You know, there was a game where the Pelicans didn't pass uh, Zion the ball for the last five minutes of a of a game, and uh, Coach Gentry let him have it. So Zion's getting more and more usage and is playing more and more time on the court uh, every game. But with with these Q tags, I don't know. I think they treat Zion with kid gloves and Brandon has an ankle that's uh, hurt from like two games ago. Yeah, it's hard to look at the Pelicans record at 22 and 31 and feel confident going into this game because I feel like they're a better team than that record. They, I, they're definitely a better team than their 10 and 16 Home home record. They have won two straight, six and four over their last ten. And when they are all healthy, it's a very difficult team to match up against, especially the Trailblazers. I mean, you talk about if Zion does play, you're looking at Carmelo Anthony, who is going to have to defend him, and that just could give Portland a lot uh, of issues. And it's a game where sooner or later you you feel like the Blazers, all of these extra minutes from being so shorthanded, they have to catch up to them sometime. Um, it's also a difficult game to play because you know you only have two until that light at the end of the tunnel, which is the all-star break. So it's really hard to get a read on this game. The Pelicans have really handled Portland twice already this year. Probably played uh, two of their best like 10 games against the Blazers this year. Absolutely. And it, it's been a, a weird one to to look at because Dame didn't play in that first game in New Orleans. That was also Carmelo's first game. And then Zion hasn't didn't play in the game, I believe, on December 23rd in Portland where New Orleans came away with the victory. So it's – and Trevor Reza hasn't played in either of those contests either. And um, – you know, Gary Trent Jr. now has a bigger role. So it's basically like the teams are starting from scratch. So what I am going to look for is how can Portland defend the Pelicans? And I'm going to assume that, that Zion and or Brandon Ingram will play. How is Trevor Ariza? He has truly been an X factor for this team since being acquired, really only losing two times since he's been acquired. I believe we're, we're five, six and two uh, with, with Ariza. How is he going to do? Because you're going to need his length to guard a guy like Brandon Ingram. You're going to need him to potentially help on a double team against Zion Williamson. And he's going to have to hit the, those open shots. So Trevor Ariza is going to be my X factor for, for this game for, for the Blazers. But um, I, I just don't feel confident. I feel like this is a poor matchup as the rosters are currently uh, constructed. Now, if we had Nurk 
and we had uh, Zach Collins. I, I would much prefer that length and that beef to go up against what New Orleans offers up front, but those two aren't available. And behind us on Whiteside and Carmelo Anthony up front is just Caleb Swanigan. We are super light, and heaven forbid if either one of those players gets in foul trouble, uh, Portland is... I mean, up shit creek without a paddle. Yeah, Zion against Biggie is a bad, bad, bad thing. Or Jackson Hayes versus Biggie is even worse. Anthony Simons is probable. Uh, Hazonia and Nasir Little are both out. Uh, Placers are going to be short-staffed yet again. Uh, It's a big game. I think the only way Portland wins is if Dame goes berserk, and I think that's asking a lot from him. Um if I had to guess, I think it feels closer to the Denver game than the Utah game, unfortunately. I, I think New Orleans uh, wins uh, comfortably. I think J.J. Redick is the ultimate X factor. And I, I okay, I'll put in the the off guard, the non-ball handling three. Either J.J. or Josh Hart will be the X factor for the Blazers. Um, you know, the Pelicans don't have a lot of shooters, but they do have two very good ones. If what happens in the last two games where they left that right corner open, JJ or Josh Hart's going to feast. And unfortunately, I think this one is going to be a Pelicans win. So moving on, Portland then has to play the Memphis Grizzlies, who could arguably be the surprise of the entire NBA. First time, right? What's that? This is our first matchup, yes. Yes, Memphis is red hot. They're seven and three in their last ten. They're plus five hundred at home. They are a game over five hundred. Portland is three back in the loss column. And to make matters worse, New or excuse me, Memphis they have not played since since Sunday in, in Washington. So they will have a full two days off. They will be rested and at home while Portland travels across the country, plays New Orleans, and then gets in on the second night of a back to back. Now you should never count out the Trailblazers on the second night of a back to back. Uh, Dame dropped 51 against the Jazz a couple of weeks ago after beating the Lakers and then nearly did it again against the Jazz the following week and probably could have won that game had it not been for that terrible non-call. So the the Blazers are a resilient bunch, but this is asking them to do it back-to-back on the road, not home-road split. So the Memphis Grizzlies have made a lot of changes. They moved Andre Iguodala. They they moved uh, Jay Crowder. Uh, they brought in James Johnson, or th- they didn't bring in James Johnson. Who did they bring in from the Heat? Since that was that three-way deal, Gorgie Dang and James got it uh, traded for one another, so it's Gorgie. Okay, and they have Justice Winslow who yeah. was injured. Yep. Okay. So, to me, what I'm looking for, and this is a guy who killed us last year, Jonas Valanciunas. Yes, I was checking to see if he was healthy or not. He's healthy. He's healthy, and uh, this game, I think, rides on Hassan Whiteside. And if he can win that matchup like he did against Rudy Gobert, Portland's going to win the game. However, if he doesn't, like he did, I mean, he got completely outclassed against uh, Nikola Jokic, which he does that to quite a few centers. It's going to be a long night for the Blazers. Hassan has got to control the boards. He has got to score when he gets the ball down low. And he has to hold Memphis to to one possession. And that, that's not to say that this rides all on him. If he goes up for a block, somebody else has to slide in there to, to box out his man. And again, I think that's where a guy like Trevor Ariza comes in. So Portland's new addition in Ariza, 
semi-new addition in Hassan Whiteside. Uh, again, I think they're going to play a, a large role. Um, this will be a game where you're going to have some fresh legs. And John Morant, who just recorded his first career triple-double, he had 27-10-10 as Memphis made a, a fourth-quarter push and they defeated the Wizards on, on Sunday in D.C., You've got a guy who's, you know, on the rise, hasn't hit that rookie wall yet. What will the all-star break mean to him? Will he overlook this matchup? Um, you know, the Memphis Grizzlies, they were in the, the, the media for basically saying, fuck you, Andre Iguodala. You know, you're not, you don't want to be with us. So, you know, we don't want to be with you either. We can't wait till you're gone. And so they're kind of, uh, one, of the, one of the new young guns. You know, they're the up-and-comers. They... They don't know any better, and in some ways that can pay dividends because you don't know what pressure is come come playoff time. You're just playing with house money. Nobody expected you to be here. Mm. Um, it, it's going to be a tough matchup for the Blazers because the length and, and size that Memphis possesses up front with Jaron Jackson Jr. Jeremy. and Valanciunas. Ha! Oh, man, ha. I was just sitting smiling hoping you wouldn't mention Jaron Jackson the third. And then you've got John Morant, who is hands down the rookie of the year and former Oregon Duck and Dylan, Dylan Brooks. You know, he just got that con- that contract extension. They, they've got a really solid core for, for me. And, and if I'm a, a you know, trailblazer trying to win this game, obviously we mentioned Hassan and Valanciunas, but I think it's I was just going to say that I, I think we're going to need – so if I'm assuming Anthony's going to play. Portland's going to need production for from Anthony and, and G. Trent. But uh, my last point, and I'm hopefully I'm going to steal your thunder once more. There is no team that I feel like this player plays better against the Memphis Grizzlies. He had his breakout year. No, this is some good, good knowledge. CJ broke out against the Memphis Grizzlies in that playoffs. He always plays well in FedEx. He is going to, I think we might get a 35-point night from CJ. So CJ on offense, Hassan on defense. I think the Blazers realize how important beating Memphis is because they're going to need that tiebreaker. I got the Blazers in a huge momentum game going into the All-Star break, getting the victory. You didn't You didn't talk about Jaron Jackson's foul rate. Woo. But you, you talk about that every time we have this podcast. I know, but I haven't talked about it all year. I think Carmelo Anthony. Yes, you have. Carmelo Anthony is is a has a huge responsibility in trying to get Jaron Jackson into foul trouble. The way that you beat the the Memphis Grizzlies. Question, real quick. And j- this has just popped in my head because I saw Melo dominate Duncan Robinson in the post, but then when they put Jay Crowder in there, it wasn't pretty. Do we want to dump the ball into Melo? Or I guess how does Melo get Jaron Jackson into all foul those trouble? ball and pump and uh, those fakes that a young shot blocker wants to block. If we can get Jaron Jackson into foul trouble, this team becomes a lot more, a lot easier to defend. Jaron Jackson is a beast, one of the best young big men in the league. The one glaring flaw in his game is he is a foul monster with a capital F. So if Melo can draw fouls and make hit that very talented big man sit on the bench, it's going to be a big deal for the Blazers. Jaron Jackson's huge. He is their shot blocker. He is their catch and shoot guy. He hits threes at a ridiculous rate as a trailer. This man is so talented. And if we can make him be on the bench, it's so good for us. If Jaron Jackson has a good game, we lose. Like, 
So as I think Hassan is very important, I think Dame is very important, important, but I think Jaron Jackson getting in foul trouble is the X factor. And Dylan Brooks is scoring at a ridiculously efficient rate, hitting 20 points that I think in his last like 10 games. He's been fantastic, but it's all about getting Jared Haxon the third into foul trouble. Oh, I think that the who would you pick? I picked a victory. All right. I I picked a victory as well. So it's, I guess it's a boring day, but Jaron Jackson, the third is the person that scares the absolute crap out of me. If we put pressure on John Morant, he doesn't do as well. He'll pass it, but he's not aggressive offensively. But Jaron Jackson's going to be a bad boy regardless of pressure of anything. So, uh, like, we have to try and get him into foul trouble. And he's going to jump. He's been jumping at fouls a lot. There's games where he looks like the best player in the world, and then there's others where he plays 15 minutes because he just doesn't can't help himself on those fouls. All right. Two dribble pass shoots before we wrap things up. Sage, dribble pass shoot. Damian Lillard wins the three-point contest on Saturday night. I'm trying to think. Yeah, shit. Shoot it. I don't care. He, like he, He's a bad boy, and plenty of people in the contest can get hot, but Damian Lillard's been hotter than any other player in the league right now, so we might as well, we might as well just say it. He's going he's gonna to win. Well, there is also the new rule where uh, I think it's the Mountain Dew or whatever yeah. it's from deep end. <laughs> Dude, there needs to be like some epic guitar riff as soon as they shoot. <laughs> so from NBA.com, it says the 2020 Mountain Dew three-point contest features a new look with the addition of two shots in the Mountain Dew zone. It's two locations positioned uh, between the traditional racks at the top of the three. And each of the ball, each of the two balls... Um, basically six feet behind the three-point line, which is just casual range for Dame. Uh, I, I really like his ability to do that. I am going to to pass that. Uh, no Blazer has ever won the three-point contest. But I would love for it to be Dame. It's going to be now. My my pick is... Oh, shit. I am going to go with Duncan Robinson from Miami. Tim Duncan uh, that's, Robinson? That's all that kid does is shoot threes. And... Just he doesn't need a lot of uh, lift on his shot. It's going to be a set shot. Um, that's my pick. I would love for it to be Dame. Love to be wrong. Last dribble pass shoot. Damian Lillard will win NBA All Star MVP. I shoot it. Oh no, I don't. I pass it. I pass it. I pass it. I think it's going to be Anthony Davis. I don't know if no Anthony Davis. Fuck that. He already won All Star MVP when it was in New Orleans, and they basically sugarcoated it and gave it to him on a, on a silver platter. Fuck that noise. Get out of here. You can't win it twice that way. I am going to absolutely shoot that. Logo Lillard made its debut last All-Star game. Dame's. I, I, I bet Dame pulls up from beyond half court in one of these possessions. Uh, I think he ends in the finishing five. He was part of the reason uh, his team won last year. He had that huge run. I just think he's got enough buzz around him right now. If he wants to win it, you know, because guys in the locker room will say, like, basically, they'll, they'll let it be known that, hey, I'm gunning for this. If he wants to win it 
And don't forget, Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell are both on, on Team Giannis. Team Giannis on really team Le- sucks compared to Team LeBron, by the way. Yeah, Giannis is a terrible drafter. Uh, Luca is also nicked up a bit, so who knows how many minutes he's going to play. you think play. he'll actually play? See, I don't know. But if he, that's what I'm saying. I think Dame's going to get the minutes. He, LeBron loves him some Dame. I just think he's got the buzz right now, and I would love to see Dame win. Has the Blazer won an All-Star MVP? Nope. Clyde Drexler was robbed when Ma- Mag- Magic Johnson came back. Yep. Drexler actually had a better performance, but Magic was the better storyline. So <sighs> I-, I just want something for the Blazers. So I'm you going think he, what? Dame. How many tracks or how many songs do you think Dame uh, performs? Uh, probably two. Cause I mean, but they I made a. I, I don't know how long he's going to be out there. For. Yeah, because they made a. They made a. At least I think Shams tweeted that like he's going to actually be a musical performance. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yo, man, I I think Dame is going to have a lot of buzz around him at, uh, for for this uh, All Star weekend. But I'm trying to think of who the most Chicago person is, and unfortunately, it's the guy that I broke up with a year ago. It ain't gonna be AD. Nope, nope, nope. nope Brandon nope. Ingram's gonna block the shit out of him, and I'm gonna be so happy. <laughs> <laughs> my my money is on Dame Dalla Sage. That's gonna do it for us. Wrap it up. Let our listeners know where they can find us, and uh, hope you have a fantastic All Star weekend. Yeah, man. I'm looking forward to having a little break from researching basketball from Thursday to to Sunday. So I'm pretty hyped about that. I might do some productive shit. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcast, uh, Nothing But Net Radio, uh, Tuesdays, 2 to 3 p.m. Pacific, 4 to 5 Eastern. Uh, like and comment. Give us five stars. And uh, you're a real one if you've listened thus far. And... Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's-